Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Clean me with hyssop so that I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Second Samuel, um, chapter twelve, verse one to fourteen. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, "There were two man, men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle." But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this all had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. 
Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. It will help to have that passage open as we work our way through it. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51. Uh, That second passage uh, provides the historical context for Psalm 51. You'll notice uh, in Psalm 51 at the top there is some uh, directions Psalms have a title. Uh, The title for this is uh, For the Director of Music, A Psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. A Psalm 51 is the most often used psalm in the history of the church. Uh, Maybe not the most often read by Christians, maybe uh, not everyone's favourite. Uh, but the most frequently used. The most frequently used isn't Psalm 23, uh, which we saw last week, uh, with all of its beauty. Uh, That gets used uh, within church services, at least, more at funerals uh, or in hospital services. No, Psalm 51 uh, occurs most regularly in orders of service because it's the psalm whose content we need the most frequently. Because of that, uh, that feeling, because of what has happened to David here in 2 Samuel, because of how frequently we fall short of God's standards, And how great our need to be set right before him. And so we need Psalm 51. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. If uh, listening to that story about David, you can tap into that. The sense of being exposed for what you have done. The thing that keeps you up at night to know that that is known to God, that you have done wrong and that you deserve his punishment. And that sense of scrabbling around to try and find some way to make it up, but there is no way to make it up. It is an awful sinking feeling, that feeling of guilt and shame. But Psalm 51 wants to give us uh, the words when we hardly know what to ask God for, when we hardly think that we can stand it any longer. Psalm 51 is a psalm that gives us the words to say to God, to cry out to him, Father God, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. It's a cry for rescue, for forgiveness to the Lord. 
And so tonight we're going to work our way through it and kind of pull it apart. What are those words? How can they teach us what it means to go to God for forgiveness? What can they teach us about ourselves and our state before God? And what can they teach us about him and what he's done, the basis on which we might ask for his cleansing from that feeling of shame and guilt and the reality that stands behind that, that we are not right with God. Uh, You'll notice that to start with, uh, the basis for Psalm 51 is not on David, uh, but the basis for the psalm at all is God, God's character. Uh, Read verse 1 again with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Uh, This is David uh, going to God, and he already knows something of God. That is, uh, he is uh, Yahweh, the, the merciful, the one who shows steadfast love to his people through generations. And knowing God is like that, he is uh, able to go to him and say, cleanse me, God. I'm dirty. I am unclean for what I've done. Uh, that's the basis for his cry. And that's not nothing. It's not nothing that he is uh, willing to go to God having committed this sin. Because how, uh, how frequently do we not do that? Too often I think we, uh, we sin, we do something that we are ashamed of and our reflex reaction is to hide it to not bring it before God, uh, to not bring it up before ourselves, to never mention it and just to tamp it down hard. But the first thing to notice is that David is willing to go to God because he knows that God can be trusted, trusted to show unfailing love, that he throws himself on the mercy of the one who might put him right. But what does that take for him? Uh, What it means is that he has to own up to it. He has to face up to his sin. And firstly, he admits it to himself. Verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See that? He acknowledges what he's done and uh, he owns up to it as sin. And he acknowledges God's justice. Uh, He acknowledges God's justice. That he's owned up to it for himself, I'm guilty. And then I recognise that God, you are right to call me guilty. It's entirely right that God would declare him in the wrong. Uh, Verse 4, he says something amazing. He says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Now, you might stop for a minute and think, how on earth can he say that? Uh, You know, he's just uh, used his power as king to essentially uh, 
take Bathsheba to essentially rape her. He's had her husband killed and then tried to cover it up. How can he say that he's only uh, sinned against God and not against them as well? Well, I think it's worth uh, zooming in a little bit here uh, because he, he describes what he's done as sin and as transgression there. And I think that helps us to understand what's going on. Transgression is the crossing of a line, that is the breaking of a law, a standard, a little bit like uh, the word trespass. In order to trespass on someone's property, uh, there needs to be a fence or at least a property line. So here, I'm fine, and then I step onto their property and I'm trespassing. And transgression is like that, crossing a line, breaking a law. And so David is, is coming back and he's, he's facing up to reality that God, you are the one who sets the standard. You're the one who decides what is right and wrong, good and evil. And so every uh, sin is in some way against God because transgression always happens against the measure of God's standard. Now, what David did to Bathsheba and Uriah was evil. That is, he hurt them. You can still kind of say that he sinned against them, but uh, really what you're saying is that he sinned against God's law, he broke God's law and so harmed them, did evil against them. But God's rule, God's law is the standard and it is right for him to judge those who fall short and hurt those around them. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. The question for us tonight, I think, uh, is do you think God would be right to convict you? Do you think that God would be right to convict you? If I was to say that God declares you guilty, would you say, yes, I get that. I think that is true. I have hurt people around me and broken his law. Or would you say, no, if if God declared me guilty, that would be unfair. I think I'm all right. Uh, When I was in second year uni, I got called up for jury duty. I just turned 18 and ended up being the foreman on the jury, uh, which meant that I had to give uh, a verdict on three counts of fraud. One count was thrown out by the court. Uh, One count we found not guilty. And on the final matter, uh, the judge asked, do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? And I stood up and said, guilty, Your Honour. And the man stood there in the dock and he was expressionless. He completely still, uh, made no reaction whatsoever. And I've often uh, wondered, did he think that we were right to convict him? What did he think? I, I think the jury deliberated well 
And so I haven't worried about that verdict. But what did he think about his judgment? Uh, That night as he uh, went back to the cell, did he think, yeah, that's right, I did that? Did he own up to it? Was he able to reflect on uh, what he had done? Or did he rail against it and say, that's unfair? That's our question. Have you owned your sin and guilt before God? Can you say with David, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Psalm 51 gives us the words to be able to express that. When, when it's hard for us to say it, Psalm 51 gives us words to say it, to own our sin. Next, as the psalm goes on, you get a sense of how much David feels the impact of his sin, the damage that he's done. Uh, You see there, as the psalm goes on, he feels dirty, he feels cut off from God, he has no joy, there's a sense that this relationship has been broken. And so he cries out to God uh, for forgiveness, for restoration, to be made clean. Uh, Read verse 7 with me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Uh, Hyssop is a strange word. Uh, It's actually a plant, a plant that was used in the Jewish temple sacrifices. It's worth uh, having a think about it. So let's uh, grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hyssop comes up again in Hebrews chapter 9 and kind of explains it better than I could, so we'll just read that. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 19 to 22. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people... He took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, what happened was uh, you took the branch of hyssop and uh, you dipped it uh, into the blood of the sacrifice that had just been made and you flicked it around over everything uh, to cleanse it. doesn't sound very cleansing to me, to blood flicking everywhere, but uh, it was a symbol, it was a reminder that that's what it takes, that sin equals death. And so there must be shedding of blood to live in God's world, God the giver of life, who's made everything and owns everything, to offend him and to break his law is to cut yourself off from the one who gives life and to face death as the punishment. And so blood is the symbol of the cost of forgiveness. 
And it takes blood to pay the price of restoration. So in the temple, everything was cleansed with blood. And that symbol is so powerful to David. He would have been there so many times and seen this ritual. He would know that blood is required. Cleanse me with hyssop. Sprinkle me with the symbol that says that the price has been paid. Then I'll know that I'm forgiven. And when the New Testament thinks about forgiveness, in fact, in Hebrews, it uses the same image, the same symbol. Have a look uh, there, Hebrews 9, uh, just before that in verse 13. Talking about Jesus. Uh, The blood of bulls, of goats and bulls, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. How much better is Jesus' blood than the blood of bulls and goats, this uh, thing that David cries out to God for? How much better God himself coming down to be a substitute, to stand in our place and to win forgiveness? How great is that? To know that it's finished. Uh, I hate getting uh, speeding fines. It does happen to me. Uh, And that, that window of time between the flash and then getting the, uh, the letter in the mail and then uh, the payment, that is the time that I hate. Uh, to, to know that there's this, this thing outstanding, that I, I haven't paid it yet, that it's coming, this, this debt that I owe, that I'm not in the right while this thing stays unpaid... But when you pay it, how's that feeling? Uh, it's awful because your bank account's just taking a nosedive. <laughs> but there's also a sense of relief that you that that's that's cleaned, right? That that is that's done and dusted. The the price has been paid, and I can move on from there. I know that I, uh, yeah, that that has been paid. How much more the forgiveness that God offers, that sense of cleansing, not just you know, your, your driving record, but a clean conscience to think that God now regards us as right with him, forgiven. He doesn't see that guilt and shame anymore and we can let it go. And David asks for that. He, he longs for a return to that wonderful relationship that he had with God. Do not cast me from your presence. Uh, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to be back in that place uh, knowing that we are right. And so he cries to God for that. And Psalm 51 gives us the words to make that same cry to God. Lord, wash me clean. And we have so much, uh, so much greater basis to go to God, knowing that we have forgiveness in Jesus.
But then uh, the psalm takes a slightly strange turn from there in verse 13. Have a read of that with me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It seems a bit odd that what's he doing there? Is he making a deal with God? Uh, If you would just forgive me this one time, then I will uh, do the following. I'll even teach Sunday school. I will uh, go out, hold a billboard. What can I do for you, God? How can we cut a deal? Uh, Is that what's going on here? Uh, Well, no, I don't think he's... He's making a deal or an ultimatum. What he's doing is he's, he's looking forward. He says these are the natural consequences of being forgiven. This is what will happen. Now, verse 14, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Verse 15, my mouth will declare your praises. Once you have blotted out my transgressions, this is what will happen. It will just flow out of me. I will declare, I will teach transgressors your ways. This is what he's looking forward to, uh, to be back in this living relationship with God. And it's like he can see it in his mind, that this is where we're going. It'll be so good, so good. I'll sing, I'll teach others, I'll know uh, the joy of, of salvation and being right with God. Uh, But you know what else he sees as he looks forward? Uh, What else he'll do once he's forgiven? Well, he'll be humbled. He'll be humbled. Uh, That's also the natural consequence of forgiveness. Uh, Humility. Read verse 16 with me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David is saying, I know uh, that when I go to you, I will be broken. I've looked my sin squarely in the face and I recognise that I have nothing to offer. He's humbled. uh, He's looking forward to the time when he can return uh, to the temple, return to making sacrifices uh, amongst the people of God. And yet he knows the sacrifices aren't really what God wants. They are, but... What good is a sacrifice to God if uh, within he is still in hostility to God? Within he's still arrogantly thinking that he's in the right. What will that sacrifice even mean in that case? And so he recognises, no, that will mean nothing. What God demands first is a humbled spirit that recognises its brokenness and our need for that cleansing with hyssop. Uh, when I was uh, a kid, I was not uh, really big on helping around the house. This is like a slight confessional of me, I guess, to you guys. Um, they're all true stories. Um, I imagine that for a teenage boy, that's a pretty common experience. Can I get a witness at the back? Uh, 
no, Chris is shaking his head. That actually, that does sound true. That Chris would love helping. Uh, <laughs> but if you know, if I ever did step in and do a chore, I made it pretty unpleasant for everyone. Um, you know, the usual grumbling. Oh, this sucks. Oh, why do I have to do this? It's so unfair. That kind of stuff. Uh, at which point, my mum would take the tea towel off me and say, "All right, off you go." I only want willing helpers. And I didn't realise at the time, but the, the, you know, the truth ingrained in that. that I thought that the, you know, all she wanted was the dishes and these dishes were what mattered. But she didn't care about these dishes. She cared about having a son who loved the family and wanted to contribute to the family. And David knows that God doesn't want burnt offerings just for the, the actual thing, the 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 smoke it's he wants a humble heart that mourns sin that willingly goes and asks for forgiveness not just goes through the motions but someone who has that heart and so brings sacrifices and Psalm 51 uh, gives us uh, the language, uh, the picture of what it means to have that heart, to go to God humbled, needing his forgiveness, having nothing to bring ourselves. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, see if we can learn some lessons from Psalm 51. We're going to uh, spend a bit of time after this uh, sermon reflecting, uh, just a time of reflection for us uh, to consider uh, ourselves, to reflect on how we have failed to live God's way and to ask for his forgiveness. Uh, we'll, we'll finish the talk, we'll have a time of reflection, uh, we'll sing a song and then we'll say the confession together. We've also tried to uh, make tonight reflect this psalm as well. That is, our songs have been songs of lament. Slow and sad. To remind ourselves that we are not in the right. But we're going to end with happy songs. We're going to end with songs that remind us that Jesus has paid the price. Because I think there's, there's two uh, big mistakes uh, that Psalm uh, 51 kind of reminds us of as uh, we think about our sin. I think our first mistake is that we look at our sin too little. We look at our sin too little. That uh, feeling of shame and guilt is, is so strong that we never want to think about it. And uh, we never want to stare it in the face. But do you think that uh, David wrote this in a hurry, just kind of glossed over it? It doesn't look like it, does it? No, he wept over his sin. He looked squarely in the face of it. And you can tell that he's understood something of the depths of his need and his brokenness. He's able to say that I have done evil in your sight, Lord. No, we need to spend time uh, 
thinking, reflecting on our sin. Uh, this is a book that I'm currently reading with Lindsay. Um, it's uh, by J.C. Ryle. It's called Holiness. It's an old book. Uh, he says this about the, the topic of sin. He says, We must sit down humbly in the presence of God, look the whole subject in the face, examine clearly what the Lord Jesus calls sin and what the Lord Jesus calls doing his will. Let, that, uh, let us see that sin is far viler and far nearer to us and sticks more closely to us than we supposed and we shall be led, I trust and believe, to get nearer to Christ. The first error is that we look too little at our sin. But the second is that we never stop. Not everyone uh, makes this mistake, but it is a trap that we fall into that uh, we get so fixated on it that that's all we can ever think about and we can never break out of the guilt and the shame that sin breeds in us. But the message of the Bible is that we don't need to stay there to remain in guilt and shame, thinking that somehow that will pay a penance, that I deserve it. Yes, we deserve it, but God has stepped in to end the guilt and shame. And it's a mistake to stay wallowing in it. We need to look to the Lord Jesus, to a God who is rich in mercy, so rich in mercy that he sent his only son to win our forgiveness. Let's not look too little at our sin, but let's do what Psalm 51 does, reflect on it deeply so we know uh, that God is right when he gives his justice and his judgment on us. But let's not uh, never leave there. Let's look to the Lord Jesus the one who has won forgiveness for us. We're going to do that now. We're going to spend some time uh, of reflection. Uh, We're not going to play any music in the background. Uh, This is a time for you to pray, uh, to read over this psalm if you have uh, no words yourself. Uh, If this is your first time uh, thinking about uh, the topic of sin, uh, it's a good time to wonder, am I right with God? If there is a God, what would he uh, think about how I have lived, uh, the ways that I have treated the people around me?